Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 122 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you talking more Knicks, talking NBA as always. First and foremost, thank you guys as always for listening. Uh, Thanks to everybody who's been coming out to the clubhouse rooms, whether it's been the big NBA fan club rooms we've been doing or the Knicks rooms that I've been doing on the side. It's much appreciated. I plan on continuing to do that at least once or twice a week. So I'm really excited to continue doing those. The big rooms have been a lot of fun, and then doing the small sessions with the Knicks fans have been awesome as well. So thanks to everybody who's come out. It's been a ton of fun talking Knicks, talking NBA in general. So anybody that's been out there that listens to the show, uh, we really appreciate you guys supporting uh, this clubhouse partnership and this clubhouse endeavor that we're that we're doing, and it's been a lot of fun. So again, if you want to go follow me on Clubhouse, you can look up Sean Saint Jacques, or you can go to Shock Shock Knicks Talk or NBA Fan Club. Any one of those, uh, follow, join the club, and uh, look out for the next uh, the next rooms we're going to be putting out there, the next get togethers. So we're really excited about that. So thank you guys as always for listening to this show and going and doing the live stuff with us as well. It's a ton of fun talking, debating, and just chatting hoops with everybody. Uh, It's a blast. So thank you guys for your support here and for your support on Clubhouse as well. And hopefully we can continue to grow this thing because it is a lot of fun. No question about it. Okay. We're going to talk NBA later on in the show. I want to get to the Lakers and the Russell Westbrook stuff. Had some good talks about that over the last couple of weeks. And the Bulls. Knicks play the Bulls tonight. I'm not going to have the chance to react to it just because of when I have the time to record this week's show. So we're going to talk about the Knicks-Bulls game next week, and we'll see how the Knicks are doing at that point. We'll start the show by talking about the Magic home home, home and home for lack of a better term, and the game against the Sixers to start things off. So we'll get to the Bulls and their their stuff later on. We'll also get to the Lakers. But let's start with the game 
against Orlando first in Florida. So of the three games, this was the game I probably watched the least amount of. So I had to watch a lot of the highlights back and the Knicks shot the crap out of the three ball. They just were phenomenal from deep in this game in particular. And, and it's, you know, again, early in the season, right? So take some of this with a grain of salt, as, as we say with a lot of this stuff. And that's worth reiterating. However, you know, the Knicks, I believe, made a franchise record of 24 threes in the game um, and really put the magic away early, right? The, the first half, and I, I watched mostly the third and the fourth quarter of this game. I missed most of the first half live. But the Knicks uh, couldn't miss, it felt like, in the first half, looking back at the highlights, and, you know, never really let the magic back in, which was great. And I think the Knicks had, I think the Knicks' largest lead was 30 at one point, uh, might maybe even a little bit more than that. And, you know, it was just great to see, you know, Fournier knocked down four of nine, Rose knocked down four of six, Berkson quickly combined and knocked down eight of 15 from deep. Obi Toppin knocked down a pair. Julius Randle knocked down a pair. Uh, and Kemba Walker knocked down three of them from deep as well. And se- seven guys, I think, were in double figures. I think it was seven. Four off the bench. So the Knicks really had it all go their way in a 121-96 thrashing of the Orlando Magic. Not much else to say. I, they, the Knicks were efficient from deep. They played well defensively, never let Orlando claw their way back into the game. Took the, you know, the crowd, which wasn't a great crowd to be fair, but they took the crowd out of it. And despite Orlando having five players in double figures, they really never made any run back into the game. So it was really impressive to watch that. Um, I think Emmanuel quickly hit the three with like five and a half left in the fourth. That set the Nick record. For threes in a game, they finished with 24 of them. That's a new franchise record. And that's big because that's what Tom Thibodeau wants. That's the biggest thing the Knicks had to improve on uh, with this new team, with the additions they made, is taking and making more three-point jump shots. It was a big thing that the Knicks were lacking in the postseason last year. They were able to get through without a lot of it in the regular season. But in this league, you've got to have some three-point shooters on the perimeter that make them consistently and the Knicks have that now. They've got Fournier and Walker to help with that. Burks and quickly, you know, taking more will help. Derek Rose at times can knock those shots down. And Obi Toppin has certainly improved, in particular, his corner three-point jump shot. So those are all important things. Julius Randle's not a great three-point shooter, but he's a good three-point shooter. So it's good to see him knocking some down. You know, I think the only... The only uh, What's the right term? The only thing that was a little concerning was R.J. Barrett struggled in this game. Just 3 of 8. I think he went 0 of 5 from deep. So pretty pretty frustrating night for him personally. But he still had 3 assists, 7 rebounds, a block, and he chipped in with 7 points. But you're hoping for, for better performances from him, obviously. But other than that, uh, this was a phenomenal, uh, what's the right word, addition to what the Knicks did in that double overtime game against the Celtics. They could have, you know, had a little bit of a lapse. They had the opposite of that. They took the confidence into Orlando and they walloped the magic. So it was impressive. And uh, it's what made the, the rematch a little disappointing, frankly, because the Knicks, you know, again, Orlando 
probably felt embarrassed, and they should have. And in the in the rematch at the Garden a couple nights later, the Knicks looked pretty good. I, I thought in the first half they kind of held Orlando uh, at arm's length. Even into the third quarter, the Knicks kind of did what they had to do against Orlando, and then never. They, I think the only thing you can knock them for is not putting the game away. Knicks never really put the game to bed, and in the end, that's what cost them. You know, I think the Knicks had a six-point lead going into the fourth. They end up losing by six. Orlando outscored them 36-24 in the fourth, and the Knicks just really, really struggled in the fourth quarter in particular. Cole Anthony at 29. Terrence Ross played really well for Orlando. He had 22. Nobody else really stood out for the Magic, but I thought the Knicks' decision-making down the stretch uh, was poor in the fourth quarter, and it cost them. It cost them, no question about that. Uh, Julius Randle was great. Derek Rose was great. Uh, a lot of people were ripping on Kemba Walker. You know, only 10 points, three assists. Didn't take a ton of shots. So I get it. It's disappointing, um, especially because you just hammered this team. You were leading the whole way, essentially. And you let them back in in the fourth, and they ended up taking advantage of that and winning 110 to 104. You know, that's the disappointing part. RJ Barrett struggled again from the field. Five of 17, one of seven from deep. Evan Fournier, you know, he's not gonna he's, he's not gonna make them all every night. He only went three of eleven and two of seven from deep. So other guys have to step up. And, and Derek Rose did just that. Kemba wasn't able to do so. And and Alec Burks only gave you nine off the bench. It was really just Derek Rose providing you with the bench points. So this was disappointing because you just walloped this team, right? And then after that, you had them basically dead to rights for three quarters, never put them away, and the magic came back. So that, that's a little bit of a, of a last season issue creeping into this season, and obviously Tom Thibodeau and company had to, to try to squash that after the game So and talk it through, I'm sure. And, you know, Randall and Rose did their thing, you know, but... And frankly, so did Mitchell Robinson. He had 10 and 10. He did foul out, which is, is disappointing. But other than that, he played well, I thought. Three blocks as well, by the way, and two steals. So he did his thing. I think actually Julius Randle led the team in blocks. I think he had four in the game. It was impressive uh, individually, but Fournier struggled. Walker struggled. Rose picked up some of the slack, but nobody else off the bench. I mean, Emmanuel quickly only played 12 minutes, but didn't score any points. So it's one of those things where you know these these games obviously will happen but these are the kind of games you got to improve on because Orlando's very beatable for this Knicks team 100% and they had them dead to rights I I really the third quarter when the third quarter ended I thought this is it first 5 minutes of the fourth put them away double digit lead and put them away and the Knicks did the opposite I think Orlando started the fourth on a 12-2 run something like that in the fourth and the Knicks battled back, but it, that was it. The damage had been done. You know, the damage was done. Knicks should be going on a 12-2 run there, putting the game to bed. You know, it should have been a 16 point lead and not a two point deficit at that point. But Orlando punched the Knicks in the mouth. The Knicks bounced back, but it was too little, too late, too little, too late. And that was it. So Knicks dropped this one. It was their first loss of the season. But I, uh, to be fair, right, 
we're, we're looking back at all three games from this past week. I love, love how the Knicks bounced back from this game against Philly. And listen, you could talk about the, the losing streak to Philly all you want. It's a different Knicks team. Knicks came very close to beating Philly last year, and the teams that had this losing streak were awful. And Philly were good, much better than the Knicks. So 10 to 15 game losing streak has a little bit of an asterisk next to it, considering who those other Knicks teams were, right? But it was important to win this game, I thought. Coming off a disappointing defeat, the Knicks really needed to establish themselves in this game. And listen, Philly came out strong. Philly had a strong first quarter. Knicks trimmed the lead down to three. And then really the second quarter ended up being the difference in the game. Knicks, the Knicks smashed Philly in the second quarter and outscored them 39-16 to 16 in the second quarter. And Philly never recovered. Philly never recovered from that. I think the Knicks had a 21-point lead at one point, something like that, in the second quarter. And that was it. That was that. So a really impressive performance from the Knicks. 112-99 was the final. And, and honestly, you could look at one stat from this game as a huge difference maker. Joel Embiid had 14 points on two of seven from the field. He made 10 of 11 free throws and he had five turnovers. That, my friends, is how you shut down a superstar. And it was great hearing Kenny, Charles, and Shaq on inside breaking that down. The Knicks manhandled Joel Embiid. They made him a non-factor. And when you have to force Tobias Harris, and by the way, this is with or without Ben Simmons in the lineup. When you have to force Tobias Harris to do the work offensively, Philly's a very beatable team. Very beatable. Especially for a team like the Knicks, the Hawks, the the Heat, the Nets, the you know the upper echelons of the East. That's who you're talking about. So it's one of those things where I, I was thoroughly impressed with the way the Knicks defended the Sixers, held them to under 100 points. This was a very important game, I thought, early in the season, and the Knicks answered, dare I say, the Liberty Bell that came into town, and they smacked the Sixers around. Really impressed with the way the Knicks handled this. And listen, you'll live with Tobias Harris dropping 23 points. You know, Danny Green, by the way, he only had 12 points. George Niang was the one that really provided the spark. 13 points, but nobody else off the bench for Philly was in double figures. I think Korkmaz had nine. That's it. Nobody else had more than six points off the bench. I mean, really impressed with the way the Knicks handled the depth that Philly threw at them and the way they basically shut down Joel Embiid. Embiid was a non-factor, I thought, for most of the second half. Really impressed with the way the Knicks handled it defensively. So you give the credit to to the guys down low. Robinson, who started it off, played 29 minutes. And then Taj Gibson, off the bench, were all crucial in the victory. Knicks had five players in double figures, could have had six. With Randall Walker, who was phenomenal, by the way, best game as a Knicks so far. 19 points to lead all scorers for the Knicks. Fournier bounced back with 18. Barrett struggled, but got to 10 points and had seven rebounds and made a couple of crucial defensive contributions. And Derrick Rose did what he has to do off the bench. Gave you 13 points. 
Berkson quickly had 16 combined and Toppin had nine, you know? And really this came down to defensively what the Knicks did well in this game. Nobody had to go off for 30 because the Knicks defended so well. And the balanced scoring, specifically in the second quarter, was enough. So I thought for Tibbs particularly, this was a statement win. Statement win. An early blow on the Sixers. And I, I loved it. Because that's the thing, right? That That's why that Sixer, sorry, that's why that Celtic game I thought was so big to win. Especially after the way the regulation period ended. But also because, you know, early game in the season against a division foe, you got to try to get the early advantage. And the Knicks have done that now against the Celtics and against Philly. That's huge. That's huge. That's two of the three biggest rivals in the in the uh, division right there. And you've already taken them out once. That's big. Nets to come, obviously. But two huge early season wins for the Knicks at MSG over the Celtics and over the Sixers. So, obviously we'll see how the how they will handle the Bulls. But I was thoroughly impressed with the way the Knicks bounced back after a really poor fourth quarter against Orlando. And that's what you're expecting from this team now. They should be doing that. And they, they were there defensively all night, made life a living hell for Joel Embiid. And again, you'll, you'll let, if Harris drops 23, you're going to win most times you play the Sixers. If he has to score that many and Embiid's under 20 points, you're going to win. You're going to win. And, and that's even with Ben Simmons. You're going to beat Philly. If, if those are the numbers they're putting up, you're, you're going to beat them. Nine times out of ten. Unless Danny Green or, you know, Cork Maz or Seth Curry go off and none of them did. They combined, I think, for for 25 points between them. Between three guys. That's not going to do the job for Philly. Seth Curry had four points. That's huge. Tyrese Maxey really struggled as well, I thought, uh, at the point guard position really struggled and and quickly obviously put him on skates as well before drilling that three I think in the second quarter that was nasty no question about that so the Knicks did what they had to do and that's that's the trouble for Philly right because after Embiid specifically down low you've got Drummond and Bassey and they didn't do much Drummond played 14 minutes off the bench he had six points It's not going to do much on the score sheet, you know? Matisse Theibel as well, a guy that you could expect to maybe pick up some slack. He he didn't take, he took one three and he had six points. You know, these are guys that that the Sixers are going to need to be difference makers right now, right? So in the end, the Knicks did what they had to do on both fronts. They They stopped the main star, they cut the head off the snake, and then they made sure that the supporting cast didn't do enough to help the second star. And that was enough, more than enough. You know, again, I th- honestly, rare time I, I will say this, but it, the score does not reflect the game. It, the Knicks could have easily won this game by 20 points. They won by 13 because they kind of, you know, threw some guys out in the fourth kind of a thing. Knicks were better than 13 points than, they, they were more than better than 13 points than the Sixers on the night. They blew them out. So this was a convincing early season win for the Knicks. Very impressed with the way they fought back. And 
uh, excited to kind of see how the Knicks do it in Chicago. Again, we'll talk about that game next week because uh, just due to other work that I'm doing, have to record it before the, the Bulls game tonight. So I'll be watching it and then I'll get my thoughts to you either on Clubhouse, if you want to hit me up there, or uh, next week's podcast. Uh, either way, you'll get my thoughts on Knicks Bulls and the rest of the week's games going next week's podcast. So that's the place to be as far as that is concerned. So a two and one week overall for the Knicks, but the two wins were impressive. They bounced back from the loss with a big win over Philly, ending that long losing streak, which was important. And the way they did it to to shut them down on offense for the most part, and then really, you know, to kind of take it to them, really take it to them and be convincing along the way. Best way I could put it is the Knicks were convincing for three of the four quarters, outplayed Philly. And that second quarter ended up being a massive difference maker. But the Knicks outplayed the Sixers all night. It was really impressive to watch. And we'll see how the Knicks do in Chicago. All right. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk Lakers. We're going to talk Bulls. And try to figure this thing out. As far as, you know, is Russell Westbrook the fit in Tinseltown? Are the Bulls for real? We'll have to see. We'll talk about it more next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. We will get to the 4-0 Chicago Bulls in just a second. But we'll start with the Lakers, second half of the show. I can't tell you how many people wanted to talk Lakers with me this week, whether it was on Clubhouse or wanted me to then talk about it on this show. A lot of people are already debating whether or not this whole Laker thing is going to work out. I, you know, we're, we're early in the season, right? And I, I don't always like talking about this kind of stuff only because it's three games. <laughs> we're three games in. We're three games in. So, I, I listen, here's where I stand on the Lakers, right? Lakers, so far, have struggled. That's very clear. You know, they have not gotten off to a good start. They've not played great, you know? I, that's There's really no debating that. The Thunder loss was, been, was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Lakers had a big, big lead. I think they outscored them 41-19 to in the first quarter. And slowly but surely, OKC chipped away and beat them 123-115. to I believe that was also OKC's first win of the season. So they were 0-4 and were down by 22 points. And they came back to win, or 23, whatever it was. And they came back to win. Now, to be fair, or at least to give you the whole picture here, LeBron James did not play in this game. However, everybody else basically did against an 0-4 OKC. Melo had 13. AD had 30. 
Russ had a triple-double. Played as well as he's played in a Laker uniform against his former team. Kent Bazemore was in double figures. Avery Bradley was in double figures. Howard and Jordan together were in double figures. All right, I get that's not as impressive. But you know what, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They got enough to win. They got enough contributions to win against an 0-4 team. And defensively, they just they just were terrible. They were terrible down the stretch. I thought. I, I thought that was why they lost this game in particular. You know, again, people are talking about, well, they don't have enough shooters. Not enough guys shooting the ball from deep on this team. All right, maybe. I don't know. If Wade Ellington's healthy, I, I, maybe they do, I think. But for now, they're trying to still win games, and they should have won that game. And defensively, it wasn't good enough. Was not nearly good enough in the, in the third and fourth quarters. They Remember, they outscored OKC 41-19 in the first quarter. They got outscored 41-23 to in the third quarter. And I get it, the game is in OKC, but they're they're 0-4. That's not good enough. I don't care if LeBron's out. It's not good enough. And listen, I, I, I must say, I heard a lot of Lakers fans chirping before opening night against Golden State. You know, they weren't thinking that this was going to happen early in the season with LeBron out or not. I'm hearing that, you know, that, that Lakers are going to roll through everybody. Well, all I'm going to say is they still have a lot of things to figure out. That being said, right, that being said, with, with what I've just insinuated, right, Lakers have things to work on defensively. They're not healthy. They got to get shooters to, to make shots consistently. And I'll talk about Russell Westbrook in a second, but that doesn't mean they're not going to figure it out either. To, to everyone that's now hating on the Lakers, right? Devil's advocate a little bit here. To look at the other perspective, we are five games into an 82-game season for the Lakers. They've had a tough opening slate, by the way, before OKC. Golden State, Phoenix, Memphis, who they beat, San Antonio on the road, who they managed to beat in overtime, and then OKC. So four of those five, and OKC on the road. So it's, again, it's the NBA. It's not a gimme, but they should have won the game. Four out of five pretty difficult games to start the season. Three of those teams are are pretty solid playoff teams, I would say. Memphis in the play-in, most likely, but still. San Antonio, who's going to be tough to beat at home because Popovich is still the coach. And then a really bad OKC team. So, fair enough. They should have beat OKC, but it's not an easy slate to start the season. It's going to ease up a little bit more now. Cleveland, two quick ones against Houston, and then they'll play OKC again before it gets a little tougher. So they should be able to figure it out, but... The Russell Westbrook thing is very intriguing to me. And and I was talking to a lot of people about this on Clubhouse this week and a few people on social media. I understand because I've been dealing with people who hate Russell Westbrook for a long time on this because I actually appreciate his game. And anytime you appreciate Russell Westbrook's game, you're going to get flooded with crap. But it's the way it is, I guess. 
I understand the flaws in Russell Westbrook's game. Russell Westbrook is an extremely confident NBA basketball player. Arguably the most confident in the entire NBA. Because he thinks every time he gets the ball, he's going to score. He's going to assist or he's going to make a play for somebody else. And when he thinks he can knock a shot down, he's going to take it. Whether you say he can make it or not. And that at times has hurt Russell Westbrook. Because even when he's not shooting the ball well, he will continue to take those shots. Because he is confident enough in himself that no matter how many shots he puts up, no matter how many he misses, that the next one is the one he's going to make. I admire that about Russell Westbrook. I really do. I really do. I wish I had that confidence in certain aspects of my life. I'm sure many of you feel the same way. No matter what happens, no matter what the setback, the next one's going to go positively. That's a really tough mentality to have. Especially for a man in the public eye like Russell Westbrook. So I give him a lot of credit for having that mentality. But here's the problem. It hasn't been successful enough to win a championship. And I I acknowledge that. It also is not going to work all the time on this team in particular. Because Russell Westbrook is not the man on this team, even with LeBron out. It's AD. That's the, that's right now, that's the pecking order. It's LeBron's team, then it's AD's team, and then probably Westbrook after that. So Westbrook is the third wheel. Make no mistake. Make no mistake about that. And Russell Westbrook knows he's got to acknowledge that He's got to change his game more than he's ever changed it before. And to be fair, it's not a lot, but he's got to change his game up. There are going to be many games this season when Russell Westbrook can't take a bunch of shots. How is he going to impact the game after that? That's what the Lakers have to figure out. When Russell Westbrook doesn't have the ball, how does he impact the team? That's it. If the Lakers can answer that question, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. They really are. Now, you could argue about size, but Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan should be able to to figure that out with AD. That should be enough, you would think. And then it's about getting the shooters going. And it's five games into the season. Now, listen, I in my preseason picks, I did pick the Lakers to go to the finals. I did. With the caveat that I'm not convinced. But they have the highest ceiling, I think, of anybody in the West. I really do. What pauses me about the Clippers, obviously, is Kawhi Leonard's injury. What pauses me about the Warriors is that they're young after Steph, Clay, and Draymond. And Clay has to come back. If they're going to make a deep run, let's be honest. Because they're not going to last 82 games if Clay's not there. They're just not. That has to be put into consideration here. There are better teams in the West than the Warriors without Clay. There's probably three or four of them, at least. 
So they're going to have to figure it out with when Clay comes back too. So the Warriors, you know, a lot of people were chirping about the Warriors this week and saying they'd, they'd beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. Okay, maybe, but are they beating Denver in a seven-game series? Are they going to beat Utah in a seven-game series? Are they going to beat a healthy Clippers in a seven-game series? Are they going to beat Phoenix in a seven-game series? I don't know. I would be, I would give myself a bit of a pause on that. I, I got to see a little bit more from Golden State. I got to see them when Clay's healthy. And I think they're handling Clay the right way, but th- this is for the people out there that are getting a little too far ahead of themselves on Golden State all of a sudden just because the Lakers hours down the road are not doing so hot right now. So listen, the West hierarchy will be established, trust me. The Nuggets, you know, they're now dealing with the Joker injury, and they gotta get and they gotta get Jamal Murray back. But the, the Nuggets have shown throughout a season that they can still be very good without Jamal Murray, which is why I have so much confidence in them that they'll be able to they'll be able to tread water. We'll see what happens with the Jokic injury, but if he's able to, to be on the court for most of the season, whenever Jamal Murray gets back, the Nuggets are gonna be good. They're gonna be really good. I hope the same thing happens with Golden State, but the issue with those two is Denver's got a lot of experienced, talented depth behind them, and Golden State's got Draymond Green and a bunch of youngsters and Andrew Wiggins, who's good sometimes and not so good other times. So that that's where I pause on, on Golden State. That's where I pause because I get it. They look pretty good so far, right? They're the hot pick. Everyone's everyone's loving what the Warriors have, have got up their sleeves so far. And, and Steph's playing out of his mind. And, you know, they beat the Lakers on opening night. And Draymond, look at Draymond. He can, he, can be, he can guard anybody. Draymond can guard anybody. All right, fair enough. But other than those three, you, listen, you bring Iggy back, but it's not the same Iggy that, that was... The one that left you. Jordan Poole is young. James Wiseman's young. He's 20 years old, by the way. Juan Toscano-Anderson. Okay. Sure. And Otto, yeah, like Otto Porter, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Kaminga, and Bialicia, uh, Bialica. It, it's, it's not jumping off the page to me. Certainly not for a playoff series. You gotta have Clay back in the fold, people. Then we'll really know where Golden State stands. That's all I'm saying. Let's see what happens when Clay gets back, and then we can have this discussion. You know what I mean? I, I think we're getting way too far ahead of ourselves on how bad the Lakers are and how good the Warriors are. Let's give it some time. Now, one team I do want to give an early shout out to. And again, it's it's early, but I, I I'm really impressed with what Chicago's done so far. And listen, I understand the schedule. They've played the Pistons twice. They beat the Pelicans, and then they won a tight game away at Toronto. I get it. Not the best schedule so far, but I'm still impressed. I'm still impressed. I thought they'd struggle out of the gates. You got to beat who's in front of you, and so far chemistry's looking pretty good. DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball looking pretty nice, not going to lie. And adding that in with Zach Levine, 
who I believe is going to play through a thumb injury for a little while, so we'll see how that goes. But this is the best start the Bulls have had since 96-97 to a regular season. And they were good in the 2010s. This is the best start they've had in 25 years, 24 years. This is impressive, man. So we'll see. Billy Donovan's starting off strong. They got the Knicks tonight. You guys will get my thoughts on that game next week. But listen, if I was a Bulls fan, I got to be happy with where we're starting out. Bulls have looked nice so far. We'll see how they do with the Knicks, obviously. But early shout-outs because the Bulls are under a little bit of pressure early on to see if this thing is going to work. They put a lot of you know, a lot of stock into this team. And to be fair, through the, through the next three weeks, we're going to find out a lot about Chicago. The Knicks are on deck. The Jazz, the Celtics, Philly twice, Brooklyn, Dallas, Golden State, Clippers, Lakers, Portland, Denver, the Knicks again. And now we're at the end of the month. Indiana. A few games after that, Miami, Charlotte, Knicks, Nets, Denver. It's not, you know, we'll find out, right? We will find out. And to be fair, I think the Bulls will just get in uh, to the eighth spot this season. I, I think the Celtics are a shade better than them. And then I've got that top six that I've been telling you guys. The top six, I think, is pretty solidified in the regular season. You know what I mean? I, I think you look at the Bucks, you look at the Nets, the Sixers, the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Heat. Those are my six. And then I think the Celtics or the Bulls are somewhere just below them. That's where I've got it right now. Is that? And to be fair, right? I had a lot of people, you know, come at me over. Well, in a seven-game series, the Sixers lost to the Celtics in the bubble, and they'd lose again. I'm talking regular season first and foremost here. And second of all, that was a totally different Sixer team in the bubble. And listen, they're not going to be with Ben Simmons, you'd think, for a good chunk, if not all of this season. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know why everyone's already jumping on the Yudoka bandwagon here with Boston. It's too early. They've been Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, it's Tatum and Brown. They're going to be good in the postseason. But the depth, again, is a huge question mark, even with Al Horford in the lineup. So there's a lot to look at throughout the season. Right now, and I'll say what I said on Clubhouse earlier this week, the, the Celtics are not better than the Knicks. They're not better than the Heat, and they're not better than the Hawks. I can't put them ahead of those teams. Not right now. We might be having a different conversation when we're opening Christmas presents. I don't know. Maybe. It's possible. But I got to see Ime Yudoka do it for a couple months before we're starting this crap. The Knicks have established themselves. The Hawks have established themselves. The Heat have more than established themselves. And you can argue they've gotten better. So shouldn't they get a little bit more respect before a Boston team that lost two of their better players to the Knicks and are relying on Al Horford who's getting up there in age? I don't know if he's going to be the same guy. So let's like pump the brakes a little bit, people. 
We're five games in, if not four, for most teams. And listen, if you want to do that to me about the Bulls, fair enough. But then I can do that to you about the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Warriors, people. Let's cool it a little bit and see how it develops. Because there's still a lot of question marks surrounding all of those teams. That's my point on those situations so far. Let's see on the Celtics. Let's wait and see what the Lakers do with Westbrook. Let's see if the Warriors can use the youth available to them with a couple of veterans that are still there to improve on last season. I think they will, but let's not jump to conclusions that the Lakers would lose to them in a seven-game series when they've only played each other once and they've played four games the Warriors have this season and the Lakers have only played five and three of them without LeBron. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So I'm excited. Listen, to be fair, I love the, the, the debates. I love the banter. I love the back and forth. It's been great to do it here. It's been great to do it on Clubhouse. Again, follow me on Clubhouse. Sean St. Jacques is the place to look there. Or Shock Shock Knicks Talk. You can join the, the group on there. Or join NBA Fan Club. Actually, joining both is probably best. Because no matter when I'm on there, you'll know it if you're following both of those two. So follow NBA Fan Club on Clubhouse. Follow the Shock Shock Knicks Talk on Clubhouse as well. Follow me, Sean St. Jacques, on, pod, on, a, on Clubhouse as well. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at SJ7. They post, uh, every once in a while, they'll post the room I'm on there as well. So thank you guys as always for listening. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. You guys are the best. You guys have been so loyal. You're the reason I'm able to do this this new stuff to help grow this show and help grow uh, this this project that's been going for the last few years. And I can't thank you guys enough for your support and for continually listening to the podcast. You guys are the best. That's going to do it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week to talk plenty more Knicks, plenty more NBA. Let me know what you guys want to hear on the show, what, what topics you want to talk about, any debates you want to have. As always, Hit me up there. You can hit me up on Clubhouse. Either one of those or on Twitter like most of you do. Either one of, any one of those options is the way to go. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you as always for listening to the podcast. Stay safe out there. Have a great week. And I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.